Betty McKinney at Rick Bonfin Ministries, and we're glad you have joined us. I'm going to pick up after Pastor Frank and um, Pastor Kyung Kim yesterday in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to um, be looking at verses 14 through 21 today. But to get just a little bit of a running start, let's um, let's look at verse 4, Acts chapter 2, verse 4 where it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And as Pastor Kyung shared with us yesterday, what were they speaking? What were these tongues that were given to the 120 that were in the upper room? Verse 11 tells us, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So, if you wonder what's What's happening when you're speaking in tongues? It tells us right here. You're speaking of the mighty deeds, the wonders of God. Things that are too great and mighty for the human mind to comprehend. Um, If if you don't know that your spirit is greater than your mind, (laughs) if you only can pray prayers you can understand, your prayer life is very limited. But when the spirit prays, The spirit praise of things that are great and mighty and wondrous beyond what we can think, ask, or imagine. So then we see in verses 12 and 13, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. And I, many years ago, I wrote a couple notes in my Bible. After verse 12, I wrote, Some will hunger. And after verse 13, I wrote, And some will mock. It always has been that way, and it always will. Um, From the very first day that the Spirit came upon the church, some hungered and said, Hey, I want what you have. And others mocked. Others scoffed and wanted nothing to do with it. And that's how it's always been. That's how it always will be. But talking about those who hungered, those who stood in amazement and hungered and said, they've got something I want. I just heard a testimony yesterday as I spoke with our dear friend Margarita in Cuba. And she told me about what's been going on through the COVID crisis the last eight, nine months. Um, You know, Cuba has been on total lockdown and they've had hardship, they've had deprivation, Food has been hard to come by. Essentials have been hard to come by. And she said the churches have reopened and the attendance at church has doubled. She said churches that 
maybe had 100 people, now have 200. And that really just rejoiced my soul because during our um, time of prayer that we have in the morning here at the office from 8 to 9, one of the things I've been praying just consistently is that in Cuba, when I've been praying for Cuba, is that they would hunger for the Lord as they are just feeling the deprivation and the lockdown and the desperation of the situation that people who maybe have had hard hearts before would begin to seek him. And Margarita confirmed to me yesterday that that prayer has been answered, that that people are hungering for him. Um, The crisis has caused people to hunger for Jesus and for the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great testimony? Okay, so we're going to start now with 14, Peter's sermon. And this actually is three, number three of three huge miracles after the ascension. And I think this is an important transition to note. I was just looking at this yesterday as I was preparing. The disciples witnessed Jesus do miracles for three and a half years, didn't they? They saw him heal the sick and the leprous and the blind and cast out demons and raise the dead. The disciples witnessed Jesus do miracles in his glorified body. Right? He would... He would just beam from Jerusalem to Galilee. You know, he would just walk through a door. He, he would do miraculous things in his glorified body. But then he ascended to heaven before their eyes. And now they are for the first time going to see the same Holy Spirit who worked through their Lord for three and a half years now begin to work in their midst. In other words, the miracles continue just as Jesus had said they would after he departs. And he had told them in um, John 14, on his last evening with them, he had told them, excuse me, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. So he had told them, the same spirit who you've seen working through me for three and a half years is going to work through you. And he he makes a note in verse 29. He says, And now I have told you, before it comes to pass, that when it comes to pass, you may believe. In other words, I know you don't believe it yet, but when it starts to happen, you're going to believe. And so that's what we we see here. We see three miracles after Jesus has left them, and just as he promised, miracles, the Holy Spirit will move, and they will suddenly believe. <clears throat> the first miracle was in um, <clears throat> we read in verse 4 that they began to speak with other tongues by the Spirit. It was not natural. It was a supernatural language. That's a miracle, isn't it? Miracle number 2 happens in verse 6. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Now, we could interpret this in two ways. Either the 120 who the Holy Spirit came on actually spoke earthly languages, which is a very real possibility, and that's how this is often often interpreted, that they spoke the human earthly languages of all these people that were gathered for the feast in Jerusalem, the Feast of Pentecost. The other interpretation, though, (coughs) is that this is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 
1 Corinthians 12, the gift of interpretation. That they spoke in tongues and these people heard them speak in their own language. That would be a miracle, <clears throat> wouldn't it? That, I, I apologize for my voice. I'm getting over a cold that I got from my baby granddaughter in Oregon. <clears throat> that would be a miracle if they were speaking in a language that the Holy Spirit gave them, but those gathered in Jerusalem were hearing them speak in their own language. That would be the gift of the interpretation of tongues, one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that we find in 1 Corinthians 12. That happened to me, by the way, once in Brazil. I was praying for a woman at the altar. I was praying in English. I was praying in tongues. Later, she had our translator come up and talk to me and say, thank you for what you prayed. It was exactly what I needed. She had heard it in perfect Portuguese. So that is, inter that is a miracle of interpretation of tongues. So that is number two. First, they spoke. Second, others heard in their own language. The third miracle is Peter. What happens in Peter and through Peter? This is good old Peter, who had just recently denied Jesus, who had run and hid in fear, who had gone back fishing, saying, I'm disqualified, I can't ever be in ministry again. That's who Peter was in the flesh. But now we are going to see a miracle in Peter's life, aren't we? We are going to see who Jesus always told Peter he would be. Peter, Jesus had prophesied who Peter was going to be, and I'm going to have John read that, if, if you will, John. It's Matthew 16, 17 through 19. And Jesus answered and <coughs> said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. Mm -hmm. And I say also unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right. So at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus had prophesied who he knew Peter would be, and now it's going to be manifested. We see everything Jesus said about Peter, revelation, identity, stability like a rock, boldness, authority, is now going to start coming through Peter. And not to mention, as we go through this long um, sermon that Peter gives, and I'm only going to go to verse 21, so John will pick up and go further into Peter's um, sermon tomorrow, we find how much of the word was hidden in Peter's heart. He himself probably didn't know that. <laughs> he didn't know how much of the word was in his heart, and when it was activated by the Holy Spirit, now it just gets downloaded to him and he knows how to apply it to those he's speaking to. Things that Peter himself didn't understand before all came together. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the word. We might have been in church all our lives. We've heard the Bible stories. We've heard about Jesus and still, you know, it's just kind of there. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he activates that word. And he makes it real and he makes it applicable and, and he says, this is for you. And you suddenly go, oh, I get it, Lord. The Holy Spirit needs to work together. Um, Paul, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, I think you have that, Rick. Um, he 
he writes to the Thessalonians about the Word and the Spirit. Would you read that, please? For our gospel came not unto <laughs> you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in as much assurance as you know what manner of man we were among you for your sake. Okay, so what did it say? The word came not, our gospel came not in word only, but by the power of the Spirit. So Paul says here to the church in Thessalonica, the word is living and powerful, but together with the Holy Spirit comes power, comes conviction. See, we don't want to just quote scripture and memorize scripture. Even Satan and the demons do that. (laughs) The religious spirit does it very well. Jesus was the word. Jesus is the word. But most of what he spoke prior to Pentecost, what he spoke to the disciples, just totally confused them. (laughs) Until this moment when the spirit came and suddenly it was like, they got it. It all came together. So the Word and the Spirit must go together. And that is is hidden or tied up in the very first words of the Bible. Frankie, you've got Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Would you read that, please? Yes, ma'am. Starting with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form, form. And void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Spirit was moving, and God said. The Spirit and the Word created the Big Bang. (laughs) Boom! (laughs) The Word together with the Spirit creates out of nothing. That is, that is the foundation of this whole Bible. That is the first three verses of the Bible. The Word and the Spirit together, bang, creates. So this is the third miracle of this section, is that that big bang happens inside of Peter. And he is now going to manifest what Jesus had prophesied he would be. So let's, let's begin reading that. Verse 14, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice, and declared to them. You see how this is the Peter that Jesus had said you're going to be? That he wasn't in, in the Gospels. He wasn't the Peter we met in the Gospels. He raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. He's speaking with authority. He's speaking with boldness. He has identity. He knows who he is. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, or nine o'clock in the morning. How many of you are old enough to remember a book called Nine O'Clock in the Morning by, who's it by, Frankie? I looked it up and now I forgot. Dennis Bennett, right? Yeah, Nine O'Clock in the Morning, and it's it's about Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, (coughs) So, (coughs) then he begins to... To talk about, um, he begins, now the scripture that's been hidden inside of him is activated by the Holy Spirit, and it begins to just flow out of him. He says, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. This is that 
or this is what. So what he's going to begin to say now is <clears throat> the prophet, the words of the prophet Joel over 400 years ago are now beginning to be fulfilled. This is not the total fulfillment of it. It is rather a beginning of a whole new era in mankind, in humanity, in the history of the world. And he begins to quote the prophet Joel. Verse 17, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind, or all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. So let's look at some of the key points in this quote from the prophet Joel. This is that. This is the beginning of that which Joel prophesied. It shall be in the last days. The last days, according to this scripture and according to my understanding, are beginning right now. They're beginning at Pentecost. The last days began at Pentecost, continues to our day in 2020, and will culminate on the great and terrible day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus. So people ask us, especially with all the events going on in the world, do you think we're in the last days? <laughs> yes, we are, and we have been for 2,000 years. The last days began. It was a change of eras. Pentecost marked a change of eras. So that's why Peter said, this is that, which the prophet Joel said would begin to happen. The last days are going to be ushered in, and we will live in these last days until Jesus comes again. In fact, it was prophesied by Jeremiah, and just because from my voice, would somebody read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34? Mm -hmm. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write, in, write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Amen. <clears throat> so this new covenant spoken of by Jeremiah was in the blood of Jesus. It was cut by the blood of Jesus. But now it's being manifested on the day of, of Pentecost. <coughs> because, <coughs> sorry, verse 18 says, um, he says, I will, sorry, let's go back to 17. It shall be in the last days that I shall pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. That's huge. That is huge. Because under the old covenant, under the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit moved. He was active. The Holy Spirit um, performed miracles. The Holy Spirit spoke. But the Holy Spirit came only in visitations upon God's chosen vessel. He came upon Joseph, who had a dream. 
and had a vision of what would happen to him. He came upon Moses with the burning bush and, and the miracles that Moses was able to perform. He came upon Elijah, upon Elisha. He came upon David as David wrote spirit-inspired psalms. And <clears throat> he came upon Ezekiel as Ezekiel saw visions of the third temple and the water flowing out. So the Holy Spirit was in the Old Covenant. But he was not available to just anyone. Only to God's chosen vessel. The people were dependent on God's chosen vessel, whom the Holy Spirit rested upon, to know what God was doing and saying and how he was moving. But now Peter declares by, by um, sharing, proclaiming the, the prophecy of Joel, it shall be now that I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18, even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. So now... The Holy Spirit is not constrained to just the chosen vessel of God, but all mankind. He's available to anyone who wants him. Sons, daughters, young, old, rich, poor, um, professional clergy, laymen, slaves, children. <laughs> not only Jews, not only Israel, but all races, all locations, all nations, Jew and Gentile. And he says, I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. They shall speak forth the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. Amen? <clears throat> so now, as we come to verse 19 and 20, um, we have a break. In the, and I've told you this, if you have listened to me teach over the years, you've seen my little diagram here that I like to use of the Old Testament prophet, and Joel was an Old Testament prophet, so this fits him. Here's the prophet. He's gazing across the horizon, the vista. He sees one mountain peak. He sees another mountain peak. From his vantage point, they might look like they're together. They might even look like they're one. But if you actually went and traveled into these mountains, you might find there's a big space between mountain number one and mountain number two. That's the secret of understanding Old Testament prophecy. You've heard me share this with you before. That it's very recognizable that the prophets will speak of one visitation of God, like the first coming of Jesus, and then they will jump to the second coming, and it might be separated by just a comma. So that's what happens in this quote of, um, of Joel here given by Peter as we move into verse 19 because now he's going to begin to talk about first he said this is, this is that this is the beginning this is the beginning of the last days then in verse 19 he's going to say here's what will end the last days here will be the culmination of the last days which we know now is more than 2,000 years <clears throat> Um, just to um, just to sort of drive this home, would somebody read uh, Matthew twenty four three? <clears throat> yes. <clears throat> and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, "Tell us." 
when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Okay. So they said, what's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the world or the end of the age? So then Jesus from verse 4 to 28 of Matthew 24 gives them all the events that are going to take place. The birth pangs that will give birth to the kingdom. The, the warnings of all the difficult days to come. The, the false teachers and false Christ. The opening of the seals of Revelation 6 are all hidden within this discourse, this Olivet discourse in Matthew 24. And But then in verse 29, John, of Matthew 24, he says, here will be the sign. Because they asked him, what will be the sign? How will we know the last days are coming to an end? What's going to be the sign of your second coming? The second the second mountain peak. And that's 29 and 30, John. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man <laughs> coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay. So the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. So that's the disciples asked, what's going to be the sign of the end? You guys are distracting me. <laughs> what's going to be the sign of the end? Peter has just declared it has begun. The last days have begun. But now um, he's going to switch to the second mountain peak. Verse 19, this is, this is a continuation of the prophecy of Joel. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Does that sound a lot like the Matthew account? So when the disciples asked, what's going to be the sign of your coming? Peter, who's been with the Lord all these years, hearing all this stuff, he's a good Jewish boy, he knows the scripture, it's just all come together. It's just whap. It's all come together and he speaks, men of Judea and you who live to, in Jerusalem, let it be known to you, this is that which the prophet Joel said, that I'm now changing everything. We're not under the old covenant anymore where the spirit was restricted only to the person of God's choosing. He's available to all of you. It's the beginning of a new era. And a new covenant is being enacted where I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. It's available to all of you. And this will go on. These last days will go on and on and on until the sign of his coming. Then what will happen during these last days what will happen during these last days? Verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the point of it all. This is the greatest invitation ever given. Because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit working together with the Word, 
through men, women, Jews, Gentiles, young and old. Matthew 24:14 will be accomplished. I hope you're following me. Are you following me, Frankie? Is this tying together? Oh, yes. <coughs> Good. Praise God. Yes, Matthew 24:14 will be accomplished, which says, "And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to the nations, to all the nations, and then the end shall come." So Peter gets to get up there. He has the privilege, good old Peter, to stand before all these people gathered in Jerusalem and say, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke. Something new has begun. The word together with the spirit is going to go out. It's going to be available to all mankind, all flesh. And it will be preached in all nations. It's going to go out from here. Matthew twenty-four fourteen. For 2,000 plus years, this invitation has been issued. The door has been wide open. And God will use people. He will use you. He will use me. He will use anyone who wants to, just like he used Peter on this day. He's demonstra- What Peter is doing here, and this is why I say it's the third miracle, Peter is demonstrating what happens when a simple, confused man... <laughs> is filled and transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Everything he's experienced, everything he's learned, the word that has been in him but that he didn't really understand, suddenly comes together and he's able to proclaim to not only to those who were gathered in Jerusalem, but to us because it was recorded and written down for us. So here's a question for you. Do you identify with Peter more pre-Pentecost or post-Pentecost? If you're like me, it's some of both. In his flesh, he's still Peter. In his flesh, he still has quirks. He still has failings. He still has weaknesses. He still has some battles that, as we go through the book of Acts and you look in Galatians and some other places, you see that Peter's still got some battles and some things to work out. But being filled, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, God used him to do this on that day of Pentecost. And I'm going to give you a spoiler. I don't know who will be teaching this, but when we finally get to verse 41, what does it say? We all know this. (coughs) It says, So then those who had received his word, Peter's word, were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. (laughs) This possibility, this miracle that happened to Peter, of the Holy Spirit changing him, transforming him, empowering him to be who Jesus always told him he could be and he would be. That possibility for Peter holds true for you today. It holds true for me today. Pentecost begins here in Acts 2. But don't just think of Pentecost. Oh yeah, Acts, Pentecost was back Acts 2 in Jerusalem. No, Pentecost has been going for 2,000 plus years. And it will continue to go until, verse 19 and 20, until the great and terrible day of the Lord, with the second coming of Jesus. So if you are pre-Pentecost, if you aren't living in Pentecost, there's still time to get in on it. You can have your own personal Pentecost because Pentecost is still going on until we reach that second mountain peak. Amen? So we invite you to come in and 
take part in Pentecost. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. And I want to thank you, Lord, specifically for all the people in Cuba that we heard testimony of yesterday who have been saved during these dark days. Truly, Pentecost is at work in Cuba and in many places in the world that we do not know of yet. You are working (coughs) through your word and through your spirit constantly, continually, more than ever before. And we give you thanks and praise for that, Lord Jesus. Amen. Senhor, eu vejo o mundo triste, atribulado pela ação de Satanás. Clamando no escuro, correndo e olhando para trás. 